0: By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you are just... Joining us and have been with us the last few weeks, we are in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit as we lean towards Pentecost next Sunday. If you remember last week, we talked about Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones, and how uh, God asked Ezekiel to call down God's breath, God's spirit, God's wind, uh, to take those dry bones and give them life again, but they weren't done when they were complete human uh, bodies they had to be they had to have the breath of God blown into them. Uh, we also looked at Genesis two, where Adam was created i 'm sure from good George Clay, uh, but was there as a completed body of a human being, but not yet alive until God blew his breath into Adam and gave him life. So we talked about that aspect of that spirit, breath, wind of God last week. We are moving into John's account in Galatians. You heard about fruits of the spirit that Melanie read to you in the first passage. And this is John's account of Jesus telling the disciples what's getting ready to happen. So this is in John's what he calls the farewell discourse. He, chapters 14 through 17, he's getting ready to go to be betrayed, crucified, uh, uh, and resurrected, and then ascend into heaven. So he's trying to prepare the disciples for what's getting ready to happen. And so here's where we come in, and we are reading uh, John chapter 14, and I'm going to start with verse 15 and go through 27. 15 through 27. Listen now for the word of the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. Thanks be to God. So yes, Happy Mother's Day to all of you. It is a special day of recognition, of love, of family, and of the joy that is tied up in all of that. I came across a few things, and the top of this little list said, things your mother probably never said. So let's, let's take a little uh, moment, and you can tell me it was true in my family. You can tell me if it was true in yours. Did your mother ever say, honey, you are too far from the TV. Scooch up close there so you can see better. <laughs> Not in my house. Did your mom ever say, let's go and turn on all the lights in the house because it makes it more warm and cheery? No. No. Did your mom ever come into your room, into your pile of dirty clothes, hamper-ish or dirty pile clothes, pick up a shirt, sniff it, and say, oh, you're good to go for another week. (laughs) Did your mom ever say when asked for a tissue, oh, I'm sorry, honey, I don't have a tissue, just use your sleeve. (sighs) Now we know we all get caught every once in a while. And then finally, don't worry about wearing a jacket. I'm sure the wind chill will improve. <laughs> of course not. Of course, well, maybe some, but most of that probably not. Why? Because mom and dad love us. What a gift that is when those relationships work. Why is it that mom goes out of her way and dad, but today we celebrate moms and their role, To make sure that you are doing all of those things. (laughs) In a perfect world, what does mom want from you? To listen and to obey. Do what she tells you. That could be the greatest gift you give your mom today. Do what she tells you to do. Why? Because she's mean? No, no. Why does she make you do all these things you may or may not want to do? Because she loves you. This passage begins and all the way runs through with this idea of obeying God. We start off before we even get to our Holy Spirit. This first part of John 14 talks about God and talks about Jesus again as he's preparing his disciples to leave he is telling them what they must do going forward. And he says two times you must keep my commandments and a third time keep my word. And when he says keep my commandment, it's not just the Ten Commandments. It's not just the laws and regulations that are laid out. That third occasion, keep my word, gives us a better picture. It is the understanding that we are to live As God would have us live. Create those parameters that God and Christ are doing by these laws, commandments, that should give us the safety and freedom to live, thrive, and survive. But it is that word obey. Moms do the same thing. They provide you with a structure, a parameter, of accepted behavior. You know what is not accepted behavior, and that is to keep you safe, so you may live, thrive, survive, and grow. It is out of love that God does this. It is out of love that your mom has done what she has for you. There's a a good, let's see. Griffin, I think in your statement of faith, you talk about baseball a little bit. This is a baseball story I'll share with you. Pat Williams, in his book, A Successful Life, talks about one of the best moments of his life. He's a big baseball guy, big sports nut. Was the day he went, April 8th, 1975, to opening day at the Braves game, baseball. Well, why was that so exciting? Well because Hank Aaron steps up to the plate for the Braves. Why was that so exciting? Because he had already tied Babe Ruth's career home run record at 714, 714 home runs. Nobody had surpassed that at that point. Now at that time, remember this was 40 years ago our country was in a different place. We were kind of in the height of some of the civil rights coming through. In that year, not everybody was excited that Hank Aaron, African-American, was challenging Babe Ruth's record for a variety of reasons. Pat Williams's book says that he received 930 million letters. No, I'm sorry, 930,000. That would have been something. <laughs> That's a lot. See, I'm glad you're paying attention. I do that every once in a while, I'll keep you with me. 930,000, almost a million letters that year. Of those 930,000, 100,000 of those were hate letters and death threats. So there was a lot of that understanding and feeling in the park. The overwhelming majority of people supported, celebrated and cheered him and wanted him to succeed but there was a sense of fear in the park. So Hank Aaron steps up to the plate as Al Downing from the Dodgers, who they were playing, pitches, bam, you see him swing, crack and out it goes. Home run over the fence, he had broken Babe Ruth's record. The place goes crazy. The stadium is fanatic, jumping, celebrating. And Hank Aaron's going around first base, and as he gets to second, he sees a couple of guys, a couple of teenagers, jump the fence and run toward him. And everybody thinks, oh, no, what what is their intent? Do they mean to harm him or celebrate? And thank goodness they came to celebrate him around. And as he got to home plate and he stepped, the rest of his team comes out of the the bullpen and everybody's jumping up and down together with him and he looks down and there's a 68-year-old short black lady holding on to him. He looks down and he says, Mom, what are you doing out here? (laughs) And she said, if they're gonna get to you, they have to get through me first. True story. It is that kind of love that ideally is in our homes when we talk about families. We, we all fall short. We all make mistakes. Children make mistakes. Parents make mistakes. Dads make mistakes. Mom make mistakes. But the intent is that kind of love. As parents, it is our job to set those parameters as you grow the best to the best of our abilities so that you will be safe, that you will grow with character, integrity, and again, physical safety, and spiritual direction. God here does the same thing. We don't like that word, obey. Why? Because it means someone's telling us to do something we may or may not want to do. We don't like it when anybody tells us what to do. That's who we are. That's especially Americans. We are fiercely independent. But God is like mom or vice versa in that sense, that here Jesus is saying, before I go, I want you to understand the way for you to succeed in this life that I've called you to is to live within the parameters that I'm setting for you. That is my commandments, my laws, my word. He says it twice. The first time he says it, he says, if you follow my commandments, you will know God, God will know me, I will be there, we'll be there with you, and I will reveal myself to you. What? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're striving for and seeking for so diligently, faithfully? So Christ will reveal himself to us? He tells us how. Follow my word, live the life in the parameters that I have set with these precepts, these ideas. Why? Because the more you live as a person of faith, the more you are going to live as a person of faith. The more you are looking for Christ, the more you are studying the word, immersing yourself in prayer, seeking to serve others, spread God's grace and love and light, the more you will see Christ in your life. I believe that wholeheartedly. I have lived that. When I live less within what I know to be God's loving parameters, I see and experience God less. When I am more focused and intentionally put myself in those parameters, into Christ's presence in a variety of ways, I see, feel, hear, and live God more closely. So if you do these things, I'll reveal myself to you. Whoa, that's pretty cool. I'm in. Where do I sign? And the second time he says it, he says, if you do these things, the Father and I again goes through this God and Jesus are together. We will dwell in you. We want that too. I want Jesus to reveal Himself to me, and I want them to dwell in my heart, in my life. Holy moly, how do we do it? The puzzle is gone. The mystery, the shroud is revealed. We know how to do it. We follow God's commandments, laws, and his faithful and loving parameters. And a lot of times we choose not to do that because it infringes on our life. Again, we don't like other people telling us what to do or we take little bits and pieces without fully immersing ourselves. But the shallow end of the pool is in the pool. Come on in may not be able to get to the deep end just yet but the hope is that the more you get in that pool the more deeper and richer that relationship with Christ will get. Again the more you look and expect to see Christ in your world the more you will see that. If you don't ever expect to see God or Christ outside of these walls or if here you're never going to be open to what God is saying to you through your life. Obey those parameters, those commandments. So number two, as Jesus is telling the disciples, they're hearing what they're hearing scares them. They don't quite get the picture yet, right? Because they're disciples. That's what we know they don't get it. We have the end of the story and we don't all get it. So in that moment, Jesus has not yet gone through crucifixion, through Easter, through the resurrection. And he's saying, I will be gone in a little while. I'm out. And they're thinking to themselves, what do you mean you're gone? You just got here. It's just been a few years. You've been doing amazing things. You've been teaching us. What do you mean you're leaving? I left my family. I left my job. What do you mean you're leaving? So a certain amount of fright and anxiety and uncertainty. And Jesus says directly, I will not leave you orphaned. Will not leave you orphaned. Every church I've worked in has supported the Thornwell Children's Home in Clinton, South Carolina. There are two things that I'm aware of in Clinton, South Carolina. One, Thornwell Home for Children. The other is Presbyterian College, the Blue Hose. Both great places, but the Thornwell home is an amazing place. For years and years, they have provided care for not only outright orphans, but those seeking to reconcile their families. There's a story about a girl named Samantha who was 10 who was found in the crawl space of her house with her three young sisters by the police. Dark, hurt, hungry, scared, alone. Samantha says, we heard the police knock down the door and my sister told my other sister not to make any noise like mom had told us. Mom was a drug addict was neglectful, not present. Well, the police removed them, brought them to Thornwell and though they still love and miss their mother and it is Thornwell's goal to reunite whenever that can happen, families, biological families, these four sisters all able to be taken together were shown a home, food, safety, clean place, clean clothes, that parents can love in a different way. This kind of work is amazing and Thornwell does amazing work. So good is their process that they have started exporting how they help families reconcile and grow together to overcome significant challenges. So good, they have started to market that out. And churches with space and means, hmm, let's see if I can think of any, can have an office dedicated for someone to be in this church, in this community, and serve local families at risk. To use Thornwell's tried and true methods, for reconciliation, for leadership, all those pieces. That's pretty cool. But Jesus says, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you under that crawl space. I am bringing you someone else. Debbie said it in the children's moment. God is going to give you a gift of the advocate, John calls it. Advocate, uh, also helper. And in John's gospel, John uses the Greek word paraclete. It's a good one. It sounds like parakeet, a bird. In past years, I've taken my daughter's soccer cleats, put them on the pulpit, pair of cleats. Paraclete. Help you remember? Help you remember? Yes, paraclete. It's a Greek word that means one who comes to help. Jesus says, God will send you another advocate, another helper, meaning he was the first. The first part of that para, like parallel, to come alongside, like Christ, like the Holy Spirit, they come alongside of us and walk with us in our lives. It is a tremendous gift. Last week we saw how the Holy Spirit is life-giving through God's spirit, breath, wind, that Hebrew word ruach, this week it's the Greek word paraclete. It is your and my advocate. It is one that remains the presence of God after Christ goes away. And a benefit of this, as one commentator was saying, was that when Jesus walked and did his ministry, he was confined to his body, He was confined to his region. He could not communicate around the world. He could not fill the hearts of people who did not live where he was not. He was a man, in other words, without Internet, without trains, planes, and automobiles. But the spirit is not bound as a human is. And so while those who saw Christ originally saw him, part of the Spirit's job is to make it possible for us to be witnesses to the event that we were not a part of. What? It makes it possible for us to witness to Christ's resurrection being second generation witnesses and on. It is part of the Holy Spirit's job to teach and to remind. Those are words that John uses last. This advocate, this Holy Spirit, what is it here to do? It's here to teach us and remind us of what, of who Christ was, what happened when Christ walked this earth and was raised, to remind us of that, and then to help us put that together. Next week, Connie Hapel is going to talk to you about Pentecost in Acts 2 when the Spirit descended. And finally, those disciples got it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit filled them. Why? Because the Spirit put it together for them. It helped their cognitive, emotional, the whole process. Disciples don't get it, really, even when they see Christ has risen until Pentecost in this account. Why? Because the Spirit fills them. It puts it together for them. And from that point forward, they are committed. They are convicted. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. There isn't any, I don't get this. They finally get it. And then Peter goes out and starts preaching and they go out to tell what they have seen. Amazing. So the Spirit is that part that is with us individually and corporately. The Spirit in John is only given to plural multiple people, which stresses the importance of the church family, that often we feel that spirit more intensely when we are together doing faithful things together, that's that living in the parameters. But again, when you've been in a Bible study or a worship service or a youth group gathering, or you've been in your car listening to the radio, reading a book, watching a movie, out with friends, in the mountains at the beach and you have some kind of God moment, some kind of illumination, some kind of revelation, some kind of, wow, that was kind of a God thing. That's the Holy Spirit. Teaching and reminding. Don't forget, this is connected to Jesus. The Spirit is saying to you. There's a great story that Tom Long tells about a blues musician Born 1925 in Mississippi, Jimmy Reed. Everybody know Jimmy Reed? Oh, I got a couple of nods, good for y'all. Jimmy Reed was from that Delta Blues area where there's got to be music just in the soil. There's so many blues artists come out of that area. His style was simplistic. It was blues and copied by many. Elvis, the Rolling Stones, Clapton with the Yardbirds, uh, Bob Dylan, Grateful Dead covered his stuff when they toured, and many more saw him as an early influence and covered some of his songs. He was a big deal. He was inducted into the, the Blues Hall of Fame and in 1991 in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Jimmy Reed, who knew? Some of the unique things about him, he served in the Navy, World War II, when he came back, moved to Indiana, worked in in an armor meat packing plant and then quit to pursue music. Now, one of his issues was that he either could not remember, he either was so into the music that he could not remember, or he was intoxicated and he could not remember the lyrics. He was an alcoholic, and it was an issue for him. He was epileptic, died when he was 51. But as this story is told on this particular recording, if you put on the vinyl, it's a little bit harder with digital remix, but those old vinyl records, and you listen in the background, there's a faint sound of a woman's voice in between the lyrics. What, what is that? That is Ma Reed, that is Jimmy's wife. Uncredited backup singer, the one who I think really kept him going, who stayed with him through his many faults and successes. The story goes that again on this particular day for whatever of those three reasons he could not remember the lyrics. So she literally stood by him and whispered and sang lightly the verses to the song that he was to sing next. The Holy Spirit is that same voice. It helps us sing the song of Christ, of the gospel, of the grace that we have been covered in. It teaches us, it reminds us, it fills us. That paraclete also is a comforter. I brought in comforters too and folded them up like on a bed. What does a comforter do for you in the wintertime when it's cold? You wrap up in it, it is warm, it is safe. You snuggle under it at night, nothing can get to you that is a part of the Holy Spirit as comforter as well. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit judges us through God's loving eyes and Christ's. And it does many things. It prays for us. It intercedes for us. We'll hear some more next week, but today it is about this advocate, this helper, this presence of God that never leaves us and that spirit that teaches us and helps us to remember that we are people of faith and we are to celebrate. The Holy Spirit has a hard job as a teacher because it has to help you remember what had happened, gone back to scripture, remember what happened when Christ was alive, but also make that real and new and fresh for you. It's what we seek to do in preaching as well. We always are rooted in scripture. We always go back to Christ, to Old and New Testaments, to remember where we started, to see God's word for us. But there should be some practical application. There should be some fresh new ways that we think about God, faith, Christ, the world, because scripture is alive. Christ is alive through the Holy Spirit. We are alive. The world is alive. Why should we only stay in what was and what happened? If there was no Holy Spirit, we would gather to remember that Christ was raised and that was done. That was it. That We would have stopped there. If there was no Spirit, there would have been no continuation of our relationship with God and the Christian faith. That is the Holy Spirit. We need not fear the Holy Spirit. It is for us, our helper, our advocate, our paraclete, our comforter. And what a gift that is to all of us to help us see Christ in new ways as we continue to understand from where our understanding came back in the day. So as we go forward today, we thank God for the love that gives us the parameters that we can live our lives and see Christ more fully, to know that we are not orphaned when Christ ascended those many years ago and that that spirit that is with us now is our helper, our advocate, will always walk alongside of us, paraclete, teach us and help us to remember the joy of this journey with Christ. That is great. News. Let us celebrate as we live. Hallelujah. Amen.